When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Oh my God. That's right. That's right. We are back. TFS is back. The NFL season is back. Mark, Mark, what's up, man? How you doing? You're joining the show today. I'm just excited. I am so amped right now. I can't even. I can't even get over it. I can't even fathom. I don't know if I can do the show. I don't know if I can do it. What's going on, man? Hell yeah, dude! Now you got me all amped up, man. I'm digging it. I, dude, we are here. Football is back, baby. We are ready to rock. Football is back. Welcome on, on into the big tilt. We are kicking off episode one of the season. We are here to give you guys advice on. How you should strategize this first few weeks moving forward as we dive into DFS. That's right. We're not going to give you necessarily as many player takes as you might like to hear. I know how y'all love your player takes. I know how you guys just want to hear which players start, which players sit. Now, but we want to give you strategy, right? We want to give you a little bit of insight on how to win your contests, your GPPs, your cash lineups. And we're going to dive into that. I'm Chase Fernand, your host, and I am joined by Mark Garcia. You guys might know him already from the first Mover podcast over there on Player Profiler and Roto Wonderworld. Mark, what's going on, man? Dude, I am just happy to be here. We have been building up to this moment for so long, and we made it. It's like that 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 night before the big game feeling, like you wake up. It's hard to go to sleep, and you wake up, and you're just like, this is the moment. We're here. It's the moment. It's it's just the moment. It's like that the moment that that comes together once you know that you won. You know you're taking home that ten thousand dollars, that five thousand dollars, or maybe that million that we're gonna help make you throughout the season. So, Mark, you ready to kick the show off? You ready to rock and roll, man? Let's do it, baby. Let's go. Let's do this. Let's talk a little bit about some DFS, not just for week one, but for weeks one through four. And Mark, I'm going to start with a couple simple questions for you just to get us warmed up, right? Just to get the lubrication process right so we can slide in to this year's 2023 DFS as my dog is making plenty of noise behind me. I don't know if you can hear that or not. But Mark, let's go ahead and start out with what are the top things you take into consideration while building your lineups? I mean, the first and foremost for me being a, a, a game theorist at heart is ownership. I'm looking at kind of not, and not just like the bare bones of the ownership, but like how do the chalk pieces fit together? How do they fit within the confines of roster construction and development? Um, because that is going to be a heavy portion of my decision-making process in a given slate. 
because it really it whittles down the percentage of the field that you're fighting against for first place. And that's really all that matters in these games we're playing is did I win or did I not <laughs> at that point? Like in order to have a good season, a good season for me is winning one or two tournaments. I and mean, that's that will define your year. So it's it ownership is really the top. But from like an underlying metric standpoint, I'm kind of the running back whisperer. Um, it's a little bit easier to predict running back volume, which volume is the highest indicator of fantasy production at the running back position. So for me, um, I start my research in the trenches. I start by breaking down every game, looking at the matchups between the offensive line, defensive line, coaching tendencies, stuff like that. Pace of play comes into play as well um, to get a sense for overall volume and then dividing that up into coaching tendencies and how we expect teams to attack. Uh, which should give us a good idea of running back volume from the jump. And I kind of start my process there and then look to attack game environments after that. Mark, I feel like we're going to get along great and horribly together all at the same time. Because to be honest with you, man, I actually do somewhat of the the opposite, where mm-hmm. I have tendencies as to uh, what's called the dose score. That's the dump off containment efficiency score, right? And it actually starts with the defensive uh, side of things, what the defense essentially allows the running back. So, you know, if I'm playing a, a great pass catcher, somebody that thrives in a pass catching role, such as like a J.D. McKissick in previous years, and I know that, you know, he could be playing a, a tougher team that really does a lot better up against pass catching running backs uh, because they just don't allow the short dump offs. They allow a lot more big explosive plays or they try to go for turnovers. Uh, that's kind of where, where my, you know, area is. But I do agree with you. In fact, I want to play a little drinking game with, with everybody in the comments. By the way, make sure you guys say what's up in the comments. Make sure you guys hit like, hit subscribe over there on the YouTube channel. But if you agree with what somebody's saying over here on the show today, I just want you to take a, I want you to grab a beer and I want you to take a sip of your beer, a sip of your cocktail, do whatever it is. If you agree with something, there's going to be a lot of uh, different takes. Yeah, there's a lot of different. Oh, see, there. let's cheers that. <laughs> right. There's going to be a lot of different takes that, that we're going to have throughout this. Some of the stuff you're going to hear today is going to be, you know, uh, heard before, right? We're going to hear it from the, the Twitter sphere. We're going to hear it from the echo chambers. But a lot of the stuff that we're going to dive into is going to be a lot deeper than what you're going to hear from most podcasts. So if you do agree with something that you hear, go ahead and take a sip of your beer or go ahead and leave a comment with us over there in the YouTube section. But let's dive into our second question. Do you prefer cash games or do you prefer tournaments? I'm a GPP bro at heart, man. Um, and I think I think most people's introduction into DFS was through the cash game streets. Yeah. About five years ago, I kind of realized that like the general population of DFS player was getting so much better to the sense where like your single entry tournaments, the cash line was very similar to your cash games. So I kind of just moved over my cash game play, which was my introduction to GPPs. I'm like, oh shit, I can win a lot more money doing this. Let's just do that instead. <laughs> I think it's very healthy, actually, to do, let's just say you bet 100 bucks a week, right? Which, you know, for, for somebody like me who does podcasting for a living and, you know, works with, with Trophy Smack for a living, I'm not making millions of dollars, right? I don't have millions of dollars to blow. I don't have these giant bankrolls where I can go blow 150 lineups, right? So I spend about 100 to 150 bucks a week on lineups. I pretty much do 5 to $10 entries for the most part. I will do a few different million makers, of course. But, uh, you know, I, I think that doing a healthy dose of of 50 50 and gpps is both not only advantageous to your pockets right because if you're hitting those those cash games it's going to pay you out but it also allows you to have a bigger budget as you move throughout the season for your gpps right because if you're hitting let's just say an 80 percent rate for your cash games and it's paying out 
you know, at, at a, what, a 40% rate, then you're going to end up seeing more available or I should say uh, disposable income, you know, that you can throw towards your GPPs later throughout the season. And then when you hit big, yeah. you hit big. It's a sustainability uh, function for sure. Yep. Um, playing, you know, playing a, a standard like DFS allocation as far as your funds in play um, could look anything from 10% into GPPs on a given week and 90% cash games. If you're really, if you're, not going to deposit ever again that season. So you're worried about sustainability at a high rate. Um, and it, it can shift all the way to a, a guy like me that plays exclusively GPPs. Um, that's not a function of I've got a bigger bankroll or whatever. I might put more money into play, but it is more a function of I am, I know the associated risk that is with playing GPPs, the variance. I mean, you look at, let's compare the NFL season to MLB or NBA. You would not think twice if you had a two week downswing in any of those sports, you would just be like, that's part of the season. That's over three quarters of an NFL season. You'd be like, Oh my God, I'm terrible at this game. But we have to realize that like, that's just a function of the variance in NFL. That's a function of a shortened um, relatively speaking season where we only get 18 full slate uh, slates to work with. So yeah, it's just a, you have to like be very, very, real with yourself as far as like bankroll management and sustainability goes um when you're thinking about like what is my bankroll is is that something i'm depositing or i have on the account at the start of the year and i'm not going to deposit funds for the rest of the season or is that like i have a stable job and i'm okay depositing hundred dollars every week or whatever so your effective bankroll is like that money as well like what you're going to be able to realistically realistically feasibly put into play um and you then can be truthful with yourself and how you're managing your play from there. Dude, I, I feel like, I mean, my handle is FF underscore intervention. I feel like I just went through an un intervention with that aspect of things. <laughs> of how you just yeah. talked to me. What do you feel comfortable with? What are you okay with? Yeah. Are you going yeah, yeah. to be Sit all right? Down. Are you Come here. Come yeah, here real exactly. close. <laughs> I love that. I love that. No, it's, it, it makes sense on both aspects. And, uh, you know, it, I sit there and I say, you know, you should split up your cash games. And typically, like you brought up, that's how you kind of got brought into things. So, mm. you know, when you're first starting out with this, if you don't have a ton of money just throwing every single week, if you don't do this for a living or you don't have a huge bankroll, that's how to actually, you know, stabilize your, your life expectancy from week to week, every single week, all throughout the 18 weeks of the season. And don't forget, we still have the wild card. We still have the first round of the playoffs. We still have, you know, Super Bowl, of course. So th there's a long, long season ahead. Way to do that is definitely by at least balancing it a little bit with your cash games. However, I'm not into cash games, man. I'm into GPPs. I'm into the Millie Maker, baby. I love, love, <laughs> love the Millie Maker. So, I'm going to go through a couple different pieces of advice, right, to make money in GPPs throughout your season. Mark here is going to tell me whether I'm what right, whether I'm wrong, whether there's more to dive into here as we go into five different facts. You ready for this, Mark? You ready to Let's dive go, in? Baby. Let's All go. All right. First part, you don't need to pay up for a quarterback, although it's tough, right, because you're sitting there, you're looking at your Patrick Mahomes, you're looking at your your Justin Herbert, you're looking at all the top end options every single week. You don't need to do it. In 2022, only three times was the Millie Maker a winner throughout weeks one through 14, where they actually costed above 7K. Now, in 2021, it was a little bit easier. I believe it was eight out of 17 weeks. But 
Either way, you don't need to pay up for quarterbacks every single week. It more in lies with your game stacks. Mark, am I telling a, a true story here or am I just lying to the people? I think it depends because that's a moving target, right? Um, player salary is going to be a moving target and it's hard to make a blanket statement um, to that effect. But I will say that 12 out of the 17 millimaker optimal, or I guess just the optimal rosters last year um, were quarterbacks that are currently being drafted in best ball in the top five in ADP. So that's a very, very tight knit of five names that provided 12 of the 17 optimal rosters. So, and while that, that is a moving target again, because like Justin Fields appeared on that list twice, but he was never amongst the top three in salary. When you draw parallels to like this season, it would not surprise me if we ended the season and Anthony Richardson was a name that yes. was on two of the optimal rosters in a given week. And remember, optimal doesn't necessarily mean that they're scoring the most points, but it's how the players, all the pieces of the salary all fit together and all that good stuff. But um, I mean, Anthony Richardson, his opening day, um, his week one salary is 5.4, which is absurdly low. So, I mean, there could be on his climb, which he's going to climb in salary. <laughs> there could be some some weeks where he is the optimal quarterback. And, and I love that aspect, right? Because you did bring up the optimal lineups, but that could include like a guy like, I don't know, Richie James in week 17, who went off for like, was it 180 points? I think he put up for DraftKings. Yeah. Totally kidding about the 180 points, but you know, he put up some that. absurd number. He's still uh, scoring. Yeah, and and you just didn't expect them to do that, right? So optimal lineups aren't always the ones you want to chase because they're going to include somebody that's at the 3K range or at the 4K range that you never, never would have thought to put in your starting lineups. They just ended up getting lucky with a couple of touchdowns or whatever the case is of how they actually got there. Uh, it's very rare to have an optimal lineup. In fact, I don't know that there's ever been a Millie Maker winner that's had an optimal lineup. No, there's been, there's been 12 years of Millie Maker contest existence, anywhere between 250,000 to 480,000 entries on a weekly basis, depending on the buy-in. There has not once in DFS been an optimal winner really? of that contest. Yep. Dude, that's great info. I had no idea. Yeah. Dude, you're so we don't need mind. optimal, but yeah. Dude, yeah, but you just need to get as close as you can, you know? So, like I yeah. said, when we talk about the Millimaker winners, you know, there's only been, what was what did I say, uh, about two, I think, or no, it was three times that a Millimaker contained a uh, a quarterback that costed 7 plus K. And although you said 12 out of the 17 matchups actually included that top-end guy, you didn't need it to get there. Now, mm -hmm. let's go ahead and hop over to uh, the tight end position, right? The tight end position gets a little bit tricky because in my opinion, and this is purely my opinion because I'm sure you could find guys in between. I, I either punt the tight end or I'm playing Travis Kelsey. I'm playing Mark Andrews. I'm playing a guy that I know is going to get me there. And although Jacob Sanderson, I don't know if guys have followed us last year. Listen, the big tilt last year, Jacob Sanderson and I used to butt heads because I used to love two tight end lineups. They really aren't ideal for the optimal lineup. Although, allowing you to punt down to 3k gets pretty sexy with the tight end position. I think was it Tyler Conklin actually was in three or four different Millie maker lineups last year at less than 3,500. So for you, Mark, do you like to punt the tight end? Do you like to pay down to the tight end or do you like to pay a, a, a decent amount for the tight end? Or do you like to pay up for the tight end? My answer is yes. <laughs> Any and everything. Um, and I would say the reason you're paying up for tight end is because those are the tight ends that can provide that separator type score, those score that you had to have, or you're not winning anything. So your Travis Kelsey's, and I like to think of it as the, the big five, there's five tight ends that have a weekly 
volume expectation coming into this next season where they can on a more greater than average frequency, put up separator type scores. It's Travis Kelsey. It's Mark Andrews. It's TJ Hawkinson. It's uh, Darren Waller and it's Tyler Higby. Those are the five volume tight ends coming into the year, which is crazy to think about, but those are the five tight ends that are projected currently for more than a hundred targets this season. Obviously you have tight ends that can do it on their own. Your, your Taysom Hills, your George Kittles. Those are the guys that can do a significant amount of damage on very little volume outside of those seven names. The way that you are winning with tight end position is by correlating six out of the 17 main slate optimal rosters last year. The tight end was paired with his quarterback twice. It was Cole Komet and Justin Fields. The, if you think about like, if there's only five tight ends that are projected for weekly volume, now we're highly reliant on touchdowns at the position for fantasy production. And if, the tight end is scoring multiple touchdowns, which is typically what it takes to be a GPP type winning tight end that directly correlates to an increased expectation for their quarterback. So if I'm paying up at the tight end position, I'm not necessarily saying it has to be cor- correlated or paired with my quarterback, but if you are paying down it, 100% always in play should be your tight end paired with your quarterback. Hey, listen, I don't know if you guys are following on the podcast area, But if you're on YouTube, uh, after this very intelligent response that Mark gave me, I do have to point out the Harry Snowman uh, said that I look like I'm coming straight out of Miami Vice, which, you know, in my case, I'm just trying to to match my wife behind me, uh, the grandma giving the middle finger. I think that we match very well. So you guys go check that out over there on YouTube. But Mark, I do completely agree with you. In fact, my favorite uh, stacks to do essentially are the wide receiver tight end type stacks because the wide receiver can get you the yardage that you need. But let's say you have a quarterback throws four touchdowns, right? Which is typically what it takes to get that, uh, that quarterback winning lineup in mm-hmm. your GPPs is you need four touchdowns or three passing, one rushing touchdowns somewhere in that range. Well, the wide receiver can get you two, but he's not going to get you all four. Typically that tight end is the guy who's getting down there, getting dirty in the red zone, mixing it up and getting you to that, that, that Millie maker championship lineup, which we've seen time and time again. Meanwhile, you have guys like, uh, like uh, Conklin that we talked about, right? Where Conklin actually put up 3.2 points one week, but he cost 3K and they ended up winning the Millie maker lineup with him only putting up 3.2 points. Now, typically from your tight end position, you want about two and a half turns off your, your player, which is essentially if they cost you 3K, then you want to get them to uh, nine fantasy points, right? But and that's if you're you're trading down, but occasionally it can still work out because you can pay up for some of these elite level wide receivers, elite level running backs, like you talked about, Mark, since you're the running back whisperer, getting getting those guys in there while still paying down for your tight end. Meanwhile, George Kittle is a guy that I would never, ever play in cash games in my entire life because nine times out of ten, well, maybe not nine times out of ten, we'll say uh, six times out of eight, we'll say three quarters of the time, he's gonna end up giving you subpar performances, but the times that he goes off are made for GPPs. Like George Kittle was built for DraftKings GPP lineups. He wasn't just built for football. He was built for DraftKings <laughs> GPP lineups because that's just what he does. He just has these explosive performances that win you millions of dollars or thousands of dollars regarding, uh, you know, depending on which actual uh, games you're playing. 
So let's go ahead. I, I was going to go ahead and do an ad read. I'm going to hold off on that because I really want to get your take on these different aspects because my next thing, number three, is finding the players who want a massive discount right now, which is something we kind of touched on a little bit, right? Like Anthony Richardson, right? He's a massive discount right now, but he's probably going to see 35% ownership until he gets over 7K for his ownership levels or over 6,500, we'll say, depending on how he does over the beginning of the season, assuming he does well. Are there any other players that you're looking at right now and you're just drooling to play because they're such a massive value? I mean, Chris McCaffrey is a big one from, you know, years past. Justin Jefferson, I don't think went over 8K or 8,500 up until later on in the season. They're just players that you automatically plug into your lineup because they are so sexy that their, their outcomes could be so sexy for right now. Their multipliers, every aspect of it, you just have to get into your GP, GPP lineups. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Let's talk about like the theoretics behind it first. Um, and then we'll talk about like some specific examples. Okay. Um, so everybody is kind of constrained by the same, well, not kind of, everybody is constrained by the same contest rules, which is we're allocated 50,000 to build, to construct our uh, rosters on a given week. If everybody is confined to 50K, but we basically assemble a roster of nine players that are priced below their median priced too low for their ranges of outcomes on a given week. We can be effectively playing with like an effective salary of 55 K or 60 K. So that's a way, uh, an interesting way to conceptualize building leverage into a lineup is like, I'm just building this lineup based on these nine underpriced players. And I'm effectively playing with a 60 K salary cap when everyone else is playing with 50 K. Um, so yeah, that's kind of like the theoretical components behind it. Um, as far as like specific players to, to open the year, I mean, like a guy like Chris Olave against Tennessee opening the season, <laughs> he is priced way too low for his median outcome for, against a Tennessee defense that cannot stop. Well, basically they're funneling te opposing teams to the pass and they cannot, they don't have the personnel to basically match up on the back end. So um, they're consistently giving up deep passing. That's where Chris Olave is going to be working. Um, his teammate, Rashid Shahid, is priced way too low for that matchup as well. Uh, but you talk like big picture. Zay Flowers could potentially be the wide receiver one for a now elite pass offense. And he is priced at 4K. So that's just absurd. Uh, play Zay Flowers until he's priced at 6,500. <laughs> like, that's probably the answer. You took my guy. You took my guy. Oh, yeah, that sorry, was my sorry. dude. Marvin Mims. Here, I'll throw another one out. Marvin Mims. <laughs> Stop, throwing people, bare out, Stop throwing people yeah. out. <laughs> he's 3K to open the season, and he's going to start in in two wide receiver sets and, <laughs> instead of just three. Uh, it's absolutely absurd like where, where they have these rookies priced, but honestly, it makes sense because they, they price them so early. That's what DraftKings does. Yeah. You know, we didn't know it was going to happen. I mean, I think Jahan Dotson is right there at 5K. I think that he has some playable games coming up soon. I mean, Arizona completely depleted their entire team. It's new coaching staff as a whole, a new system. Like, we could be looking at Jahan Dotson and even Terry McLaurin to an extent at a whole new light come week two. And we know their prices are going to jump to extreme levels. Maybe not the same levels we're going to see Zay Jones in terms of percentages. But yeah. – I mean, I love that concept. Uh, meanwhile, we're seeing Cooper Cup deal with some injuries. So guys like Van Jefferson make some sense at 4,700. Although I'm not going to say that's in the same realm of, of what we're talking about. But yeah, let's go ahead. Play and let's... Tyler Higby. Yeah, Tyler Higby's going to be a monster. Higby. What about some Tutu Atwell? Can I enter? No, I'm just kidding. So GPPs. let's talk, let's talk sure, about guys that, that 
more so in the Van Jefferson range, right? Let's talk about some of these guys in the even Tyler Higby range where, okay, they're good players. They're not classified as great. They're not going to make a massive jump, but they could jump a, a grand or so by week three just based off of their usage. I mean, Zay Jones, I think, is elite. I think Zay Jones ends up around the 6,500 to, to 7K range, which I would yeah. consider in the elite level range, right? Is there anybody else, or I should say, is there anybody that that is in the 4K range right now that can end up being in like the 5,500-ish range by the time it's all said and done when we're looking at week four? Yeah, JSN is priced at 4.9 right now. I mean, there's paths to him being priced in the 6,500 range, uh, similar to kind of where Tyler Lockett ends up every season. Um, Nico Collins is priced at 4.7 as the, the, I don't know if you want to, this might be, yeah, I don't know. I'll call this him the weird. alpha it's on that weird, offense. Right? Yeah. yeah, he's he's the the top pass-catching option. We'll, we'll just say that. We'll leave Robert it Woods? Robert Woods? No. Oh, no I'm just kidding. No. It's so gross. Jeez. It just yeah, feels yeah. so gross. Yeah. Um. This is probably not popular on this network because I know, the, <laughs> I know where everyone kind of stands, but Quentin Johnson is a guy that probably <laughs> needs an injury to either Keenan or Mike Williams, but I mean, he's priced at only 4.4. He could see a significant spike. Um, and then maybe even a guy like Donovan Peoples-Jones. A lot of uncertainty with Cleveland, but he is their downfield Z-type wide receiver who's going to be out there running a lot of routes because that's very important in today's NFL game. Um, yeah, that's probably – I'll stop there. I think Harry Snowman has watched too much of my my episodes on these shows uh, he's already sniped my guy, Dalton Schultz and Tank Dell, who I think have a chance to increase in value. Although you don't know when to play them week to week, they're going to increase in value just because of their volume regardless. Um, Brandon Ayuk, brought up by Nicholas over here in the chat, is a great one. He's only sitting at 4.9K. Uh, his our average target depth is the only wide receiver worthy uh, target depth on the entire team. Yeah. And you know we've seen the usage from Brock Purdy with Brandon Ayuk involved. Uh, you know, it's, it's tough to know when to play these guys because we don't know what Shanahan's thinking. I don't think anybody does. But, you know, he's interesting from week, week to week, and we might be able to exploit that, especially in higher scoring games up against the 49ers. That makes things very interesting. Now, yeah, I'll, I'll throw out two more real quick. Uh, yeah, yeah, secondary wide receivers on the Packers. Um, Romeo Dobbs and or Jaden Reed. Dobbs yes. is priced at 4.4. Jaden Reed is bare minimum at 3. <laughs> Um, both those guys could see middle five, five K range. I think Kincaid is a big one that, uh, you know, we haven't really discovered or, or talked about as much. I think Dalton Kincaid is a guy that could be a, a very interesting option from week to week. If he ends up playing in the slot versus the tight end role, but we have yeah. to see him see 70% of his snaps in the slot versus playing, you know, 20 in line. 40% in the slot, and then only seeing a, a 60% snap share. So Dalton Kincaid is interesting. Uh, one other guy that I, I think could be a, a cheat code from week to week is Josh Downs. I mean, Isaiah McKenzie got cut, and then he got brought back because they wanted to try and, and bring some other guys in off the waivers. But Isaiah McKenzie does not look to be an asset in this offense. He's, he looks just to be a special teams guy. That means that Joshua Downs is pretty much going to be getting all the snaps because all they have – you know, in terms of their starting lineup is Mo Ali Cox to take away snaps from with Kyle Granson after Jelani Woods went on to, I think he made it on an IR, correct me yeah. if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Josh Downs is going to be on the field probably 70% of the snaps, and he's sitting there at like 3K, right? 
Yeah, he's down at uh, 3,100. Um, also, his teammate, Alec Pierce, who should be playing in two oh, wide yeah. receiver sets, he's only priced at 3,800. And he had like almost 40% of the team air yard shares uh, yeah. with the starters in preseason. So, I mean, this is a big arm quarterback, an athletic freak. They're going to be, they played with pace in the preseason. So I'm really into this um, kind of low priced indie offense right now. Um, they played with pace. They were attacking downfield. Yes, Michael Pittman had a heavy target share. Alec Pierce had a heavy um, team air yard share. So there's a lot to like, I think, um, as far as upside goes, at least. So I did put in the show sheet. I'm, I'm going to switch it up on you. I'm really sorry about this. I'm going to completely go off show sheet. Uh, I want to know if you're pumping the brakes on anybody that's high priced right now. Because for me, uh, you know, you brought up a very interesting point in terms of the, the Colts, right? And how they ran their their preseason snaps. Uh, Cleveland actually had the highest percentage of empty backfield sets um, as as they lined up essentially for the preseason. And mm -hmm. everybody's talking about Nick Chubb. Oh, now he's going to catch passes. Sean Watson doesn't use running backs in the receiving game. He just doesn't. He doesn't use them in the red zone. He ends up audibling out of most run package plays when they're at the goal line. You know, he's in control of this offense, and obviously they are going to go pass heavy, and they've showed us that while trading for a wide receiver, you know, while drafting a wide receiver, while, you know, having Amari Cooper and having Donna Peoples-Jones, and then they still have Njoku. Is it possible that Nick Chubb is a guy that you want to pump the brakes on until you see what happens the first few weeks? Are you okay rolling out Nick Chubb due to this ownership percentage? Because I think it's going to be low. I am 100% good rolling out Nick Chubb in week one, if that's what we're talking about. And because I of there's three games that have a game total of 47 points or higher, and that's yep. a key betting threshold, that 47.0 points. Um, and that's typically the, the, the threshold we use in betting to say a game is expected to be high pace, high scoring, all that stuff. 47.0 is kind of the above that range is like wheels up as far as game environment goes. So there's three games in week one with a total of 47 and higher. It's Miami and the chargers. That is the top of the, the slate right now with like 51 game total. Um, there's the, the Seahawks and the Rams that is probably going to be coming down because of Cooper cups injury because of um, JSN's injury. We don't have some uncertainty there. And then it's this this Bengals and Browns game. And this one's highly intriguing to me because the Browns are introducing a new defensive coordinator in Jim Schwartz. And Jim Schwartz is a guy who plays heavy cover two alignments, but he's not afraid to send pressure. And he loves sending pressure from cover two, which effectively means the strong safety is now out of the picture. And now it's a cover one type look, but they're going to align a lot in cover two. And if they are devolving into cover one against the Cincinnati Bengals, that is like Jamar Chase land. Like he just eats that that against that coverage. So um, and the, there's also the fact that like the Bengals under Joe Burrow are only like one and four against the Cleveland Browns and Nick Chubb has run all over them. Um, and then there's all the uncertainty associated with the Browns. We don't know if Deshaun Watson is trash. We don't know if that team is trash. Um, so I think of those top three game environments, that one is probably going to go the most overlooked because JSN's injury makes it a now concentrated offense in Seattle. Cooper Cup could make it concentrated offense in uh, Los Angeles. So yeah, this it, this game environment is very interesting. And if I think if you're interested in that game environment, you have to be 
at least somewhat interested in Chubb. I like what you have to say on that one. That was interesting because I wanted to fade Chubb. And now you got me second-guess myself a little bit, but I'm still okay doing it, uh, at least for yeah. the first two weeks of the season. Because even though he could do well in week one, I'm still going to be very uh, you know, cautious running him out in week two, week three, up until I start to see trends moving forward. If I start to see trends where he's involved in the passing game, I'm down. I'm ready to rock and roll. But up until then, I'm still going to be a little bit cautious on it. Now, when it comes to like we talked about some of these guys that we want to fade. Is there anybody at the top of your list or at the top of the side list, I should say that you want to make sure that you're not going to go ahead and run out there and start them no matter what in every single one of your lineups uh, moving forward, guy that's more expensive. At the beginning of the season, the answer is probably like every single high priced running back. <laughs> uh, it's, it's weird to like, say like, I'm never playing Christian McCaffrey. Uh, screw that guy. He sucks. Uh, no, but it's like, there's some shade of truth to that because everybody is so, um, I guess everybody is so underpriced that typically people are constructing lineups have extra salary left over or to spend at the beginning of the year. And typically what we see is inflated ownership on the high priced running backs during that time, because it feels safe. Like humans, we like to be comfortable. We don't like to be put outside of our comfort zone. So everyone's like, okay, well I can pay up for safety at running back because there's so few of them now that can um, be counted on for weekly volume. I kind of take that the other way. And I say, I'm going to, and this is from like a GPP only perspective. It's like, I'm just going to embrace a little bit more variance. And if I can find running backs that have a path to hundred yards on the ground and two scores, those are the guys I'm going to be targeting because, because of the fact that there are so few volume running backs. Um, so GPP type salary allocation discussion, that's kind of where my mind goes from a cash game perspective. It's not usually a profitable endeavor to be fading volume at running back because that's very bankable production. And we're a little bit more concerned with median. Um, whereas in GPPs, we're kind of shooting for like 80% plus outcome. You nailed it. You nailed it right on the head. And, and I love it. And so much fun just to, to sit back and, and laugh at something that I was going to say. <laughs> Once again, Mark, maybe we're, we're going to get along a lot better than I thought. We, <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. But either way, man, it's still very entertaining to say the least. Oh, man. Let's, let's go on one more question. Do we have any bargains due to injuries for this uh, first few weeks of the season, you know, Jamal Williams is looking pretty sexy right now, especially if Kendra Miller doesn't play. I mean, can you, without looking it up, are you, I don't know if you might be looking it up already. Can you tell me who Jamal Williams backups are without looking it up? No. Taysom Hill. Oh my God. It's, play Taysom. it's, it's um, <laughs> like Merriweather or something like that. And somebody, I don't even know who they are. And I, I do this for a living and I still, I do not know who they are. <laughs> it's so crazy. Uh, so, I mean, Jamal Williams is a guy, although, you know, you got to fight up against Jeffrey Simmons, right? And that, that's a, it's a tough matchup, but you know, if we talk about, you, you talked about how bad Tennessee is at letting yeah. big time plays happen, right. To, to Chris Lave and to, uh, Rashad Shee and, and is there an opportunity even in garbage time for Jamal Williams to, to score a couple of touchdowns to get you to like that 70 yard mark? I think he's sitting there at 5,100, I believe. Yeah. Um, for me, again, from a GPP perspective, he is a fine and probably one of the better cash game plays on the slate. From a GPP perspective, I all oh, the way that I'll relate this is 
once the first kick or once the kickoff happens on an individual game, because now we have a late swap, once that happens, salary almost goes out the window. And now it's like a most points, like points are what matters um, because we need to score points to win these tournaments. Um, so from that perspective, I mean, Jamal Williams had a career long rush last year of 51 yards. That was his highest in his career. Before that, it was like 36, 37 yards, something like that. This is very much a a low explosive run rate running back between the tackles. He's going to hit the first hole and try and get four to five yards each carry. That's just who he is, but that's very, very effective near the goal line, which he proved last year. So, I mean, Joshua, he, he, he scored 17 touchdowns last year. Right. And he, his peak was like just over 25 fantasy points. So like at a salary of 5.1, that's looking great for cash. Like that's a five X multiplier. You're looking awesome. From the perspective of raw points, I want a running back that can get that 100-yard bonus and score multiple touchdowns, which he is very unlikely on a given week to do. So I think that can be, just to name a couple of guys, like either of the Washington Commanders running backs have that within their range of outcomes, Brian Robinson and or Antonio Gibson. There are a number of volume-type running backs that are on kind of shitty teams or have bad situations, Rashad White. James Connor, those type of guys, they still have like a hundred yards on the ground and two touchdowns within their range of outcomes. Those are the types of guys I'm looking to target because now it just, it takes, you're already at 25 points, which it would take Jamal Williams, like three touchdowns to get to. Um, He's done it before I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, he has, he has, um, he but against a Tennessee team who their identity oh, wow. is like winning in the trenches. Like they are not like you shall not pass. Like they they, that's who they are as an identity. They don't want to let teams run on them. They, they invite them to pass. That's a little bit less appealing to me. Could you imagine what Vrabel would do if he's sitting there and they've already had two goal line touchdowns scored in them, and then they're facing a oh, third yeah. one? Dude, he would put on a uniform right there. He would take Jeffrey Simmons out of the game. He'd throw on Jeffrey Simmons' uniform, and he'd go out yeah. there to play defensive tackle to make sure they didn't get in on that, that third touchdown. So I can definitely yeah. agree with that. Are there any running backs that you really love over the first few weeks of the season, you know, we, we have those, those Deion Jackson guys, you know, we, we have certain injuries that could allow for some opportunities for, for cheap guys to, to work their way in. Like Deion Jackson could be sitting at 5,500 by the time Jonathan Taylor comes back. If he ever does. Yeah. I was just looking at his price. I think he's at like 4.1, which is a hundred above the minimum, something like that. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah, there's, there's a number of guys that are in this middle tier of pricing like 5500 ish and below that i think are guys that are likely to see their prices increase as the season goes on khalil herbert is a good one um he's priced at 5.3 and he is i mean basically based on preseason usage he was seeing like the first two drives with the ones and then deontay Foreman would come in and roshan was kind of used as the change of pace slash um pass catching back in both of those instances so if khalil herbert is gonna see 60% plus of the early down work in Chicago. I think that his price is probably going to bump up another K Deandre Swift is a very, very interesting one. He's priced at 5.4 and there's so much uncertainty with that situation in that backfield, but he's a guy that can put up a hundred yards and two scores on 12 touches, uh, which yeah, is yeah. same with Rashad Penny. I mean, his teammate too, both of those guys can surpass that hundred yards and two touchdown threshold that that I kind of hold so important from a GPP mindset. And then the last guy is kind of the clear and obvious one. It's Raheem Mostert. Um, if Jeff Wilson is starting the season on um, IR like he is, he's going to miss the first four weeks of the season. 
And Devon A-Chain is kind of a back that is unlikely to see the majority of the early down work in that offense. So that's kind of Raheem Mostert's right now to lose. Um, they let go of Miles Gaskin. So it's basically just like Mostert, A-Chain, and um, uh, the, the other guy. <laughs> I forgot his name. Yeah, so it's probably Mostert is going to see like 60% of the early down work, and that's a guy who can kind of hit home on that 102 threshold. Yeah, no, I I agree with you like wholeheartedly on that. I, I'm very curious. Do you think that Swift, Penny, and Kenneth Gainwell's ownership will eclipse 6% combined? <laughs> like, I feel like if you play... Probably not. Any one of those guys, like th- their ownership is probably going to be below 3% easily, but probably closer to 2% for all three of those guys. Uh, maybe Kenneth Gainwell is sitting like 1%, but I feel like it's going to be like 2%, 2%, 1%. Yeah, especially, I mean, Swift and Penny are both within that kind of same pricing tier that we just discussed. And there's a lot of options in that tier um, in the like 5,500 to, to 5K range. Um, so yeah, at the, that- at the beginning of the season, probably not going to have a ton of ownership. That's going to be a mill maker winner in week one. It's going to have one of those three running backs. I feel like maybe it both. Has to. <laughs> it could be both. <laughs> oh my God. I love playing that, that variance. All right. We got to do something real quick. Make sure y'all stay tuned. Of course, because we have something very, very special to offer you. Let's take a moment to talk about Underdog Fantasy. Now, many of you have already signed up. Thousands have signed up from Player Profiler already over the years. Underdog has supported us since 2020. Much of what you see on Player Profiler is because of Underdog, because of their support. Get the Underdog app, plug in that promo code UNDERWORLD. I used to play Underdog just for the best ball drafts. I mean, the best ball drafts are amazing. These draft rooms fill so quickly, and you can win life-changing money. You want to take advantage of all the sleepers we talk about on this show? Well... What better place than in an underdog draft room to do that? And I recommend taking your underdog play to the next level by diving into their NFL pickums. It's important to correlate those NFL pickums. You can pick both the quarterbacks and the wide receivers to exceed expectations. Correlate them, and you can 5X your payout. Bada-bing, bada-boom. Underdog Fantasy, the promo code is UNDERWORLD. For an instant deposit match up to $100, underdog is the truest friend of the underworld. Whoosh. That's what it says. Whoosh. Make sure you guys go check out, of course, Underdog, where I have over 350 teams that you can try and beat me at as we move into 2023. Now, let's go ahead and let's dive into defenses. Let's talk about the most exciting thing that we could possibly talk about that everybody wants to hear about is defenses. And and we're not going to spend too much time on this before we actually dive into ownership percentages and leveraging your roster bills, which is really what y'all want to stick around for. Make sure you guys stay for that. But in the meantime, we do have to discuss defenses because it can make or break your fantasy lineups, right? Like you could have a defense put up 22 points. It could be chalk, but you could also have a defense put up 18 points and it wouldn't be chalk. And it all just depends on how you want to play it. So like for me, as we're sitting there, we're going to be playing Arizona Cardinals throughout the entire year. I pretty much want to play whatever defense faces the Arizona Cardinals. But I know some weeks can be chalk. And the way that I get around this, by the way, this is the number four tip, is by playing two players that have over or under 3% ownership. Now, in the Millie Maker winner lineups, I think it was at least, or every single team had at least two players, or the majority of teams had at least two players with under 5% ownership. 
So so cutting that almost in half and going with two players under 3% ownership was absolutely critical in winning. However, that gets risky, right? That's, that gets a little bit dangerous because when you start playing these guys that are under 3%, as we discussed with Rashad Penny, you know, DeAndre Swift and Kenneth Gainwell, as an example, we don't know which one's going to hit. We don't know which which guys the coach is going to choose. And now you have a Millie Maker winning lineup with DeAndre Swift in it. Rashad Penny went off. Your whole lineup's blown. And you can't do every single lineup that you, you do across the board with one example being Rashad Penny and one example being DeAndre Swift. So how do you handle the defenses? Are you in the same boat where, you know, you, you don't mind playing chalk as long as, up, as long as it's up against a terrible offense that passes a lot, that you know is going to have to pass a lot, that you know is going to face, you know, Clayton Toon or, or I don't know, Baker Mayfield throughout the season? Or are you somebody that, you know, feels like you like to pick your defenses individually with low ownership and just, you know, pray that they actually hit? If they hit, great. If they don't, well, you're not out of it anyways because defenses don't matter as much. Yeah, so I'm the latter. Um, and the reason for that is defensive scoring is the most variant um, of any of the positions. Um, and because of that, and, and it's because of the way that they score points. They get only one point for a sack. They get two points for a turnover. But it's six points for a defensive score. And every single week, there are defenses that are finding the end zone um, through whatever the case may be. The problem is it's really freaking hard to project who is going to score on a defense in a given week. So the only thing that we can do is we can try and single out what, what situations arise to a defense finding the end zone. And typically it's pressure in the backfield. So in similar vein to where I'm looking at to start my process with that trenches mismatched for running backs, I do that for defense as well, because that's the only thing we really have control over is like how disruptive is this defense based on the mismatch up front based on coaching tendencies, all that stuff. So like adjusted sack rate is a good metric to use are what is the, the, the Delta in adjusted sack rate allowed from the offensive line versus the defense. So like last year it was the Philadelphia Eagles who were like chasing history in sacks. They only scored, I think three defensive scores. Um, but that was that was basically a, a, an outlier. Like they should have scored more. They were in position to score more. Um, so we want we want disruption, which leads to mistakes. It leads to turnovers. It leads to sacks, strip sacks. A strip sack is the singular defensive play most likely to result in a touchdown because there's nobody else behind them. So if a player can scoop and run a strip sack, it's highly likely to result in a touchdown. So those are things that I kind of am looking at. And because defensive scoring is so variant, I am more likely to lean into that variance in GPP by avoiding any chalk at the position. That is very different from a cash game or a small field tournament mindset where it's like, dude, Washington defense is priced at 2,800 in week one against, yeah. we don't even know the starting quarterback yet. So that's like that type of contest where we don't, we don't ever want to say guaranteed points, but like a higher success rate of scoring points is more important um, than like there is likely just based on percentages and numbers and variance and all the things that go into an NFL game. There's likely to be a defense that scores more than the Washington commanders in week one. Finding it is very difficult, but putting ourselves in the best position to allow variance to work in our favor is kind of how I, I handle that position. So I love what you had to say, and I want to add a little bit to it because you nailed it on the head, which I, I drank. I got I got to open up another beer now. I got it here. 
Oh, there we go. I don't know if you heard that. I heard oh, the yeah. crack, but oh, crisp. oh, it's, oh, it's great. It's so great. Oh, the smell. It's amazing. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of uh, the champagne of beers. It's called Miller High Life. It's it's just the, the best beer out there, uh, especially for you guys out there in the craft world that, you know, have not been exposed to Miller High Life and <laughs> champagne of beers. You should probably check it out. But no, I, I couldn't agree with you more uh, in terms of, you know, what you want. I, I want to add that I also rely on the offensive coordinators tendency to hold in tight ends as blockers. In addition to that, if we look at like Shanahan's offense, for example, George Kittle is so valuable because he's such a good blocker. And mm-hmm. the past couple of years, they've had issues on the offensive line at, you know, keeping their, their line healthy. That's why we saw George Kittle completely go off, you know, what was it two seasons ago, I believe, or three seasons ago. And in the past couple of years, he's been held in as a blocker, which means that, or which is the reason I should say as to why such a GPP play versus a cash game play is because we don't know when they're going to hold him in. We don't know how healthy their offensive line is going to be. It's just, it's been literally just a, a windmill of the same thing happening over and over again. So, when it comes to that aspect, I like to watch the blocking rates of what the coaching staff has, the routes run, I should say. You know, like when we face the Raiders and they have Darren Waller running routes on every single play, they're never going to keep Darren Waller. So you're going to see a lot more yeah. opportunities for strip sacks, for turnovers, because Derek's car gonna unload, their car is going to unload the ball no matter what. Uh, I also want to also take a look at the quarterback situation and their interceptable passes. So if a guy is not only getting a ton of pressure on him, but he's also throwing, you know, two interceptable passes a game that just isn't relating in turnovers. I do want to keep an eye on that uh, because either two things are going to happen. One is he's going to throw an interception or two, the coach is going to get on him and say, Hey, stop throwing the ball, which means he's going to take the sack increases the likelihood of strip sacks. So that's going to be the, the, the main aspect that I'm looking at uh, for these defensive plays. The other part is how likely is the opposing team going to be at running the ball 40 times because they're winning yeah. such as Washington versus Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. Atlanta's a big one. Even Washington though, right? Like Washington yeah. against Arizona. I love the matchup. I'm going to have a ton of shares of, of Washington in week one. I love it. But do I have a fear that they're going to run the ball 45 times that game or even 50 between Antonio Gibson, Chris Rodriguez and, and Brian Robinson. I think there's a definite possibility. Sam Howell could see 15 passes in that game. And it could be over. So I do have a fear of that. But just keeping that in mind uh, has to do with my roster shares. So while we have, like, if it was a different defense or a different offense, essentially, for Washington, I would be more much more likely to play Washington 40% of my lineups. But for this matchup, just because of how Washington offense operates, I'll probably be more likely to play them in about 20. All right, let's go ahead and hop into ownership percentages and leveraging your roster build, such as stacks, uh, such as avoiding you know chalk. And we'll start out by saying, like, what, what do you have as like your sweet spot? Because mine's about 100 points. 90 to 100 points is where I want my roster ship percentages to land. If I'm sitting there with two guys at, at 60%, but then all the rest of the guys aren't giving me more than like 5%, I, I think that's gold, right? Um, my sweet spot's 90 to 100% roster ship across all positions do you have a sweet spot for that i don't um the reason is i feel like one of my strengths in dfs is being able to build differently from the field so if i have a chalk piece but i am confident in its range of outcomes i know i can play that piece different than everybody else 
Um, whether that's within the same game environment, whether that's avoiding the chalk game environment, if um, if he's not a part of it, I just I know that I can build around that in a way that is allocating salary differently and and making things come together through the entire scope of my roster to where I don't necessarily myself need to be thinking about individual ownership percentages because it's how those players work together within the salary cap confines. So if, if this were not a salary cap contest and we had unlimited salary, I would pay 100% attention every single time to individual player ownerships. And it would be like much more um, beneficial to be straying far from where I see points flowing because variance and all those things. But the fact that everyone is working with the same salary cap means that there's only so many stands you can take on a given slate. And so if everybody else is playing by those same rules, I know I can just bend those rules a little bit more in my favor uh, without worrying about individual ownership percentages. Mark, man, we're talking to the public, okay? You're obviously a highly intelligent individual who has a massive upper hand, which is why you're running the First Mover podcast over there at, at you know, Player Profile in Roto World. But, but we're talking to the public. We need to give them advisable information that they don't have time to research. I mean, they can't look into 150 different lineups and ownership percentages and everything. But no, I understand exactly where you're coming from in terms of, of you know working those, which is why you need to come back. You need to hit subscribe on YouTube, right? You need to go follow the podcast. You need to go follow all the articles written, which we're going to have a ton of DFS content coming out of there at playerprofiler.com uh, to give you insight into these players. However... Uh, for me, typically, I like to go no more than about 120% roster ownership regardless. Uh, you know, I could play one guy that nobody else is playing. The likelihood of him hitting is, is you know, close to none. But, I mean, they could have 150% roster ownership. And if I play that one guy that's 0.001% played and he hits, hey, hey, we're talking about a gold bond right there. We're talking about the million maker winner. However, yeah, let, my, me, let me jump in and relate it um, just using pure numbers. Yeah. Having a two 10% owned players is not the same as having a 19% owned and a 1% owned player. From a no. number standpoint, it's about 7 to 8% more unique to have a 19% owned player and a 1%. So those extreme low owned kind of, however you want to think of it, those, those really low owned guys are extremely important as far as differentiation goes. I love that. I, I don't even know where you'd learn that from. I'm I'm learning right now as we're talking. That's crazy. But I do know there's a difference. I didn't realize it was seven to eight percent. Yeah, uh, it's significant. Oh my god! Can, can you just take my job for me real quick, and then I can just relax and and you can just talk the whole time. <laughs> I just want to learn. I just want to sit back and learn. I love this. So when it comes to leveraging your roster builds, right? You know, we we talk about stacks, we talk about correlation, we talk about trying to. Uh, you know, build the perfect lineup. So when it comes to building the perfect lineup, where do you start? I start in the trenches. So I actually start um, at running back and defense, and then I mix in the game environments from there. Um, it's really? kind of backwards. Yeah, that's kind of backwards to, I think, the how most people will approach roster construction. And I do that because of that. I think the field is most likely starting from game environments and then working and filling in kind of the rest. So I kind of just flip that on its head and I start at the running back and the defense and then work in the game environments from there. 
I do have that as being, you know, one type of sack that you attack, right? Is you do running back and defense based off of turnover. Op- we talked about the commanders, right? Like you could see it, an opportunity where they get a couple touchdowns on defense or even one touchdown on defense. Meanwhile, they're running backs at 50 carries, you know, throughout the game. Uh, you know, that's definitely one way to start. Have that. And then you also have the quarterback stack, whether you do a, 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 a single stack or you do a double stack, you know, and then you run it back. How often do you run it back? Uh, with an opposing player doing a running back and defensive stack? I don't do that, I think, enough because when you were, from a GPP sense, like I talked about, a defensive score, which is what we're kind of shooting for um, in trying to capture that um, overall bulk scoring at defense, that means that the, the offense of the team that scored is off the field for two drives in a row. So that is less volume for my running back on that team to hit my personal hundred yard and and two threshold. So while it theoretically makes sense to like make those correlations, I just use them less frequently. Um, And I think I dug into the numbers of the past three year Millie maker winners and the, um, the hit rate of a defense and a running back correlation from the same team um, was about 4% which I would say that the field is utilizing that function. Um, we'll say pulling that lever, which is like a, a, just a technique that we use um, in constructing rosters at a higher rate than that. So I just want to kind of avoid something that is more utilized than its hit rate. Makes perfect sense. So how do you leverage your lineups outside of that uh, to, I guess, combat the tight end and quarterback and wide receiver stacks? Yeah, so one thing that has a hit rate higher than its utilization rate, and this is just based on observations. We don't have the pure numbers, um, or at least I haven't dug into them. Um, Quarterback running back pairings from the same team um, with a pass catcher. So, for example, a quarterback running back wide receiver, um, all from the same team. And I think the best example to pull from this or to highlight this is Ryan Tannehill, Derek Henry and AJ Brown from two years ago when Brown was with the Titans, they went on this like seven week tear where they were like putting up 40 points on teams. And you don't think of a guy like Derek Henry as being a guy that you can pair with your quarterback. He, he was not catching passes back then. I mean, this past year he caught some passes, but back then it was like he was catching under 10 balls a year. So it was very, very just yardage and touchdown type back. But if the offense is scoring 40 points and it was as concentrated an offense as that, you know, 20, um, 21 Titans were, where it was like basically just Tannehill, Derrick Henry, and AJ Brown. You can capture all of that scoring with those three players. There's very few teams that are expected to be that concentrated this year. The Rams are kind of one of them. Cooper Cup, Matt Stafford, and Cam Akers could be that kind of dynamics. Last year, it was the Las Vegas Raiders. It was like uh, Devonte Adams and Josh Jacobs were just alternating and sometimes putting it up together. These 30 point massive games, 30 to 35 points. And it was because their offense was so concentrated I mean, they weren't this great offense last year. The Titans weren't this great offense two years ago, but because of the concentration I mean, you can attack quarterback, running back pass catcher. Um, and it's hit rate is going to be higher than um, it's utilization rate by the field. Yeah, I think that we're going to see a big time output from Jared Goff. 
essentially with with Gibbs and Amon Ross St. Brown yeah. early on the season because you can't stretch the field with anybody, right? So they're not even taking downfield shots. So you're going to have to come up with creative ways to design this offense to get the ball in space to these two players. And it's not going to happen with Marvin Jones Jr. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it. not going to happen with Cleve Raymond, unfortunately. Um, you know, sure, Sam Laporta can offer some upside, but don't forget this is rookie tight end. I think Jamar Gibbs is a big guy to attack early on in DFS before people start waking up and realizing this is a guy they're going to use in the passing attack regardless of how they utilize him. Yeah, that's super sharp. I like that shout. Yeah, so that, that's a guy that I definitely want to check out. With that being said, Mark, man, we're about done. Is there anything else you want to talk about for early on in the season for DFS? No, man, that was fun. Check out the big tilt every Friday. Check out first mover every Monday and we'll see you guys throughout the season. Dude, we got some big guests, man. We got some big guests coming on. Uh, Mark, hopefully I'll, I'll make an appearance on your show. Yes, sir. Maybe, maybe I can throw together some stats and make you know myself look even remotely as smart as you are as an individual, <laughs> man. Hey, can you let everybody know where to find you over there on Twitter? Yeah, man. Find me at HiloFF. That's H-I-L-O-W-F-F. All my stuff is uh, repurposed through Twitter. Absolutely love that, man. It's it's fun to write articles and do these shows and then get to repurpose it for Twitter. You guys can go check out all of our content over there at playerprofiler.com. God, we got so much stuff going on, man. It's it's going to be a great 2023 season. You guys go find me over there at FF underscore intervention on Twitter. Man, we out of here. Hey, I want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. It's important to me that all of our media be free. This is only possible because of you allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business. So please subscribe to the All In Package to continue to make all this possible to ensure that all of our stats, information, data, content is available to you, especially you, the people that get the site and get the show.